Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. of me. Boy, we haven't sung that one in a while, and that one just, uh, some songs do such a nice job of blended thoughts and lyrics with a melody that just drives it home. That's one of those songs for me. I really enjoy that. It's been uh, good to be here today. So uh, last week, we started a new sermon series that I've called Your Life in Focus. We're going to spend a total of five weeks, and uh, I'm just inviting all of us to spend a little bit of time kind of introspectively looking at ourselves, looking at our lives, what we're doing, how we're prioritizing the things that we do, and asking those questions about, am I living my life in such a way that's going to take me to the place that I'm trying to get? Last week, we started with a single question, what really matters to me? Of course, the deeper question there is, what matters most to God? But out of that, we can think about our own lives and the ways that we're individually made and ask that question of, as I try to move towards the end of my life and I move toward that day when I am able to join God's presence, am I bringing with me the things that are most important? Am I spending time on the things that matter most? Today is the second question, which is, what relationships will I build? In my life, what relationships will I build? I think an obvious place that any of us should start would certainly be with our own family, with our own household. If you're married, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, if your parents or grandparents are still living, we want to do everything we can to bring our families with us on this journey toward heaven. And we certainly always want to start there. But I also want to invite us to be thinking in a bigger way about the relationships in our life and the people that we choose to include in our life. Something that I've been concerned about for several years is what many researchers are calling the loneliness epidemic that's going on not just in the United States, but really in all the world. I've got a few charts I wanted to show you. This is research done by the Cigna Insurance Company, and what's really haunting to me about these statistics is not just how bad they are, it's that these were all done in 2019. Most of the current polls indicate that all these numbers should be about 30% worse, if that's even possible. But loneliness has become a huge problem that was already a problem before we had to spend the last year and a half dealing with this pandemic. But looking at the percentages of Americans who say that they are lonely, if you look, it's especially the younger generations who are really struggling right now. It's that facade that social media in some ways keeps us more connected to more people, but in other ways causes greater isolation because we're not forming deeper, meaningful connections and having time spent with anyone. But again, in 2019, 79% of Generation Z, that's people who would be uh, up to the age of about 24 right now, Millennials in that age range of 25 to 40, 71%. Gen X, those between the ages of 40 and 53, 65% say they're lonely. Baby boomers between the ages of 54 to 73, uh, half of baby boomers say that they're lonely. I'm fascinated by what we call the silent or the greatest generation, and that's still a concerning number, but it seems that Many who are over the age of 74 have already probably sorted out in life, making sure that they have some of the companions that they want to keep with them. That number's lower, but that's still a significant percentage. 
They've also done research where they've adjusted across some other areas. And so looking at living status, people who are uh, living alone report 69%. Those who live with one other person, a spouse or whoever, 51% are still lonely. Those with a household of at least a couple of more people, 65%. And just in general, if you erase all the other factors and just look at males and females, 58% of females say they're lonely and 63% of males. I mean, that's an alarming number. And I would love to believe as Christians that we skew on the better end of those numbers, but let's face it, by any standard, I could pretty much draw a line right down the middle of the room and say, if it's the case that all you guys are not lonely it is very statistically likely that the rest of you are. And I want to say truthfully that if this is something you're struggling with, it's a struggle we tend to allow to move us further into a sense of isolation and we say something must be wrong with me because everyone else probably isn't lonely and maybe it's just something about me. But I want to encourage you that again, we could pretty well go through the room and say this person, skip a person, this person, skip a person, battle with loneliness. It's a challenge. Uh, There's studies that have shown very clear links between chronic loneliness and things like dementia, depression, anxiety, self-harm, heart condition, substance abuse, and in fact, people without a good social network, a network of people who care about and support them, often don't recover as well from serious illness. In fact, it's been estimated when they've run some numbers on this that the health consequence of loneliness, prolonged loneliness, it's the equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's something that you ought to take seriously. You ought to treat yourself as someone who's worth loving and taking care of and making time in your schedule to do what helps you to be healthy, to have companionship in this life. On the flip side of this, When we have healthy relationships in place, there's a lot of positive effects that produces. It decreases your stress level when you have someone to lean on. It leads to better and faster healing of illnesses. Most of us make better choices when we have companions who inspire us to be better people. We have a greater sense of purpose in life when we share life with others. And among other things, people do tend to live longer. Just because they've got good companions, they're enjoying their journey with. I've always believed it's very significant that when God looked at creation, of all the things that God created, you may remember it's this steady cadence in Genesis where he makes it and he pronounces it good, and he makes it and he says, that's really good. The only thing God created that he looked at and said, this is not good, it was a single person all by himself. That wasn't a good thing. We're meant to have relationships and connections with other people. And I can't tell you why it is exactly that so many of us struggle with loneliness or hold back on putting ourselves out there and encountering the risks of trying to form a meaningful relationship. But it is the case, isn't it, that relationships are hard. Friendships don't always happen easily. They take time and experience to cultivate Many of us might not, <clears throat> excuse me, many of us might not cultivate friendships because we're living by what Susan David would call dead people's goals. She says, a lot of people are just trying so hard to avoid anything uncomfortable in life that a lot of the goals they're living into are the goals that only dead people's bodies achieve. 
So you say, no matter what, I don't ever want to fail. I don't want to fail at anything, so therefore I won't try. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to look foolish. And therefore, it'd be better not to put myself out there. And I just, above anything, I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to get hurt. And if I put myself out there, I might get hurt. And she says, people who are living by those goals successfully are dead. You know, you've got to be a dead body to not fail, never embarrass yourself, and not feel pain anymore. But if we're going to be living human beings, we should adopt some better goals for ourselves. She points out uh, in Jim Collins, his famous uh, business book called Good to Great, he'll want to claim that good is the enemy of the great. But she says, no, that's actually not the problem. She says, it's avoidance that's the real enemy. If we avoid anything that makes us uncomfortable, the avoidance of discomfort is the enemy of the great, but it's also the enemy of the good. If I'm never willing to risk something that could be painful, I also rob myself of the potential of greater meaning in my life. If I will not take on the risk of rejection, I probably won't ever make many deep friendships. If I won't take on the risk of failing, I rob myself of the opportunities to succeed. If I will not risk getting hurt, instead of ending up happy, at best I might just end up kind of numb. It's the avoidance of anything uncomfortable that leads us down such a worse path. We've already uh, reflected on a good passage of Scripture this morning and how we work and go about our lives. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. This is, to me, an inspirational verse. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Notice that collective language that he uses. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It makes all of us better the more connected that we are to each other. Certainly it is the case that maintaining friendships and relationships, we're all flawed. People do disappoint you. People do let you down, but the overall benefits of having companions on your life's journey so far outweigh the potential detriments of the pain that that might sometimes and inevitably sometimes will bring with it. Scripture is just full of stories of the people of God doing great things as the people of God, of friendships, relationships, churches, cities, peoples that can come together. And so along this question of what relationships will I build, I'm going to suggest that if you aren't sure where to start, I'm going to lay out for you this morning five different types of people, five different persons you want to have in your life, okay? And so uh, I'm going to walk through five of these, and if you aren't sure where to start and you've got a lead on one of these, maybe this is something you ought to cultivate in your life. First, I want to say that everyone needs a companion in their life, a Jonathan in their life. You need someone who is just always in your corner as your friend, who values you, who loves you in spite of your quirks and can laugh with you at your quirks, who's going to be with you through thick and thin, whom you can depend on for everything. King David had a best friend named Jonathan who had been his friend long before he was King David. 
It's in 1 Samuel chapter 18, after David had defeated Goliath. It doesn't tell us exactly how they got to be friends, but some translations will say that with David and Jonathan, it's like their souls just got stitched and woven together. That they became such fast friends that they each loved the other just as much as they loved themselves. It says that once they got connected, that Jonathan gave a series of gifts to David. He took off his robe. He gave him his robe. He even gave him his sword and his bow and his belt. And in many circumstances, if you look through the life of David, Jonathan even put himself in harm's way for the sake of protecting his friend. And of course, Jonathan is the prince. His father is the king. Jonathan would even defend David at the risk of going against his maniacal father, if we're being honest about what he was. It's the case, though, you won't have many friends in life as close as a Jonathan. It's just not possible for any of us to maintain 50 people at that level of closeness. But in your life, you might get to have just a handful of people that for whatever reason, God has put them there, and you connect in a way that you just don't connect with most people. And I want to say, if you've got that person in your life, cultivate that relationship. Tend to that relationship. If you've got an open door in that regard, walk through that door. Most often, a real companion, like David and Jonathan had in each other, most often our truest companions in life are people that we've somehow suffered with, that we've been through hardship together. David and Jonathan had a terrible struggle dealing with King Saul and the way that that brought them together. But maybe you've been through a terrible illness. Maybe you've had an experience in life where you were falsely accused of something and all of a sudden you found out who really would stand by you. Hardship has a way of revealing who your truest friends probably are. And if you know who that person is, I encourage you to seek that person out. If you have that friendship, don't neglect it. All of us need a good companion in life. A second friend you might consider seeking out is someone who can be your confidant. Everybody needs to have a Jethro. The difference between a companion and a confidant is that a companion is with you in the thick of it. They're in the trenches with you, in the middle of everything with you. The confidant is a person who might be a little bit detached from your situation, but is deeply attached to you personally and is looking out for your well-being. For Moses, this was his father-in-law, that priest named Jethro. And I think very often in life, the best confidant is someone who might just be a little bit older and wiser than you. You might remember that story in Moses' life where his father-in-law came to town to visit him and the family, and he started watching what Moses was doing. Moses is kind of ruling over the Israelites, and every single little nitpicky dispute they had, people were just lined up day in and day out asking Moses to, to arbitrate between them and make all these judicial decisions. And he is completely burned out and exhausted, and his father-in-law, who cares about the Israelites, but cares especially about Moses, came and said, Moses, what you're doing isn't good. You can't carry the weight of all this, so I'll tell you what to do. Divide the peoples up by tribe, by larger numbers, by smaller numbers. Surely there are competent people capable of solving most of the smaller disputes, and they can kind of work their way up the chain, and he serves as a kind of supreme court for the people with God's help, where the really, really hard cases you deal with. But a lot of this stuff other people could handle. Take that burden off of yourself. What are you doing? And praise God, Moses took his advice. It was good, good advice. It was solid advice. But you know, 
We all need a confidant. We need someone who knows us well, but isn't just in the middle of everything that we're battling. Uh, over the years here, I know I've talked with y'all pretty openly about my relationship to uh, Virgil Fry. Uh, Virgil is my spiritual director, which means I talk to him every month for an hour. And uh, Virgil has been to our church. He did a grief workshop for us a few years ago. He cares about our church, but my relationship with him has been something that's especially important to me. And I can tell you there have been several occasions where I think I did something, not, not that everything I've done here has been wise, but I've done some things a good bit wiser than I would have because I had a third party who was a little older and wiser than me that I was taking advice from. And I said, well, here's what's going on, and here's what I'm thinking about doing about it. And he would say, yeah, but have you considered this or how this might come across? Or what if you did it this way instead? It's valuable to have a friend like that in your life, someone who's a little older and a little wiser, who cares about you and will invest in you. If you don't have a Jethro in your life, but you know someone who might could become that person for you, I recommend seeking out someone like that. It's also the case, a third companion you might need, frankly, all of us need a challenger. Not that we always want to be around the challenger, but we know deep down there's a healthy place for each of us to be challenged. King David had a challenger in the prophet named Nathan. The challenger is that person who loves you enough to say, hey, I know that everyone else is just kind of tiptoeing and walking on eggshells because they don't want to offend you or say anything, but I'm just going to tell you how it is, and you need to hear this. We need that person in our life. In David's life, you may remember, he thought he was doing some stuff behind the scenes. This one season, all the troops went out to battle. David decided to stay back and hang out at the palace, and as the saying goes, the idle mind is the devil's workshop, and he saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof. And you know that it's like his lust just kept taking him further than he ever intended to go. But before you know it, he slept with another man's wife. The text, I think, somewhat implies forcefully. I think it was his decision, not necessarily hers, but that's my interpretation. But he makes that choice. She gets pregnant, and then he starts having to frantically try and cover up this thing that he's done. Ultimately, it leads to murder. He has this guy indirectly murdered, right? He puts him on the front lines of battle so that he'll likely die, and he does, so that he can cover up this wrong thing that he did. I've always wondered, was it really the case that this was a secret, or was everyone just too afraid to insult the legacy of good King David that they just didn't want to say anything? But it had to be pretty fishy when all of a sudden Uriah dies and Bathsheba's moving right on into the palace. It had to look pretty fishy. Nathan the prophet shows up that day, and there's that fateful story. He says, David, I have a situation I want to tell you about. There's this wealthy man. There's this wealthy man who had all the cattle he could ever want, all the sheep he could ever want, and he had this neighbor who was very poor, and he just had this one little sheep, and he loved it so dearly. He even fed it from his own food bowl and his water dish. He, he, he loved it. It was his closest companion. And the rich man had a guest and decided that he was going to feed him a lavish banquet. But rather than kill one of his own flock, he went and took that poor man's sheep and slaughtered it, used it like a meal, and took it from that man. And he said, what do you think about that? David is enraged. He says, that person ought to die. He ought to have to pay back at least four times what he took. Can you imagine what it must have been like? makes me emotional to think about it. Have you ever had someone point right at your face and you see that fingertip pointing at you and Nathan says, I'm talking about you. God knows what you did. I know what you did. 
you know what you did, and it's time for you to do the right thing. David was cut to the heart, but he needed a challenger. He needed someone to challenge him. And it's not always the case necessarily that it's because we've gone into grievous sin that we're trying to turn a blind eye to that we need to be confronted. Sometimes it might be the thing that helps us with temptation. I have a, I have a good friend that I uh, went to, to seminary with who um, he had an important job for a very well-known c- corporation internationally. And he told me about this one time. He said, Mark, I was in a setting and there was this attractive woman who wasn't my wife who happened to be there who kind of took a liking to me and of course, there's a part of me that was really proud to whip out my business card that has this very impressive corporation and an impressive title followed by my name. You know, you just hang on to this and let me know what I can do for you. And he said one thing led to another, and he said, though nothing happened, we ended up in a place that we probably shouldn't have been as the two of us. And he said, in that moment, he said, I got this phone call from this friend of mine who I go to church with, another lady, and I was talking to her, and she's asking how I'm doing, and she kind of heard a female voice or something in the back. And I walked away from that. You need someone in your life who cares about you, who's willing to confront you. Challengers make us better. We need the voice that says, hey, You know who you are in Christ. Do the right thing. Each of us also needs to have in our life a little one. We need a little one. We need someone like Rhoda. You know that in the book of Acts, the first female voice that we ever hear speak specifically is that of a young girl named Rhoda. She is a doorkeeper in the house of Mary in Jerusalem. It seems that she was a servant girl, a slave girl, and of course, in this culture, slaves are very much considered part of the family, and so she would have been a participant in the family prayers and these sorts of things, but Rhoda is an abbreviation for the term Rosebud. So I don't know if they call her Rosebud or Rosie, but that's what her name means. But on this one occasion, Peter's been arrested, the Christians have gathered, and they are begging God to spare Peter's life miraculously somehow. We talked about this story a few weeks ago, but there's, there's a knock on the door. Rhoda, has, of course, got the job while everyone else is doing this important stuff in here. She's the one who answers the door, and she's so dumbfounded when she sees Peter standing there, God had miraculously delivered him, that she runs back in and starts telling everybody that Peter's here, but she forgets to let him in. And of course, they say, she's crazy, or maybe they're just saying, silly Rhoda, little Rosie, come on, don't be silly. It's probably just his angel, sweetie. It's going to be okay. But sure enough, she was right about it. I'm reminded of what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 11 when he talks about what things are really like in the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is like this upside down place where the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together. But my favorite part of the verse is, and a little child will lead them. That's what it's like in the kingdom of God. Jesus, who was wifeless and childless, always said, children first. I've always got time for children. Children first. Children have this way of helping us get past our hangups 
and this desire we have to be so big and important that we're above reproach and above questioning. Kids don't care that much about your credentials. They care a lot more about how you treat people, whether you're kind, whether you can be playful and joyful, which is, in fact, some pretty important stuff because in life, you'll solve a lot more problems by being kind and playful than you will by being only serious in all business all the time. Children are good for us, and whether it's your own children in your life or maybe you've gotten involved in a ministry to keep you a little closer to the kids and to their hearts, it's important that you've got a little rosebud in your life somewhere that's helping keep you close to the heart of God. Who's the person in your life who's young and naive, perhaps, who keeps you a bit more joyful? And finally, each of us needs someone like Zacchaeus, a reject. You know, I started using these emojis. I could not figure out what emoji to go with for a reject, so I thought nobody probably wants to be around that guy. So you can insert what you think a reject looks like, but all of us need someone in life. If I'm really going to authentically be Christian, I think it's healthy for most of my relationships to be relationships that, that make me want to be better and build me up, but I should always also have someone that I'm working on in Christ that I'm trying to bring into the fold. Zacchaeus would have been considered a traitor. He's collecting taxes for the Roman government. It's like he's betraying his own people. He was wealthy because he's taking money from his own people as he's giving it to the government. He was despised. They would have thought nothing of calling him a scoundrel or a scumbag. And yet on that day that Jesus came into town, and he's a short guy on top of it, he had to climb a tree just to get a view of Jesus. And Jesus stops by and sees him in the tree and says... Zacchaeus, you got to come down because I'm staying at your house tonight, bud. Come on down. The people start murmuring, how could he talk to someone like that? How could he make any time for someone like that? They're all criticizing Jesus. But then you see what that did for Zacchaeus. You know, Jesus never confronted him. If you pay attention to that story, he didn't insult him. He didn't belittle him. He didn't mention any of the wrong things that Zacchaeus had done. But just to have someone treat him as if his life mattered, as if he had something positive to contribute, just for someone to treat him like he was worth loving. He says, I'm, I'm giving half of everything I own to the poor, and anyone I've ever wronged, I'm going to pay him back four times over. You couldn't have even asked that of someone. But what a difference it made. There are so many people for whom just a little bit of encouragement might go so much farther than you think it will. You need to remember the importance of your influence you need a Zacchaeus. You need someone whom the world has rejected that you can make feel accepted. I'm really grateful uh, for our prison ministry. I think we'd have to mention our own prison ministry and how as a congregation. Uh, we have intentionally worked for years with the lives of people whom our culture has in many ways rejected or ostracized that we're trying to give a better path to. This is God's work. Amen. It's important. So I've mentioned these, these five options for you. And it might not be the case that you could immediately seek out five, but man, it would mean a lot to me if I could find out that you have at least made some effort to reach out to at least one person in your life, especially if you're feeling lonely. And you know, something I've been coming across lately that I really like, there's some kind of pressure involved. Like for example, anytime somebody says, um, Mark, can I come by your office this week and we need to talk? Like, when is that ever good, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm always willing to, but let's, that's not ever, like, when you hear it start that way, you already kind of assume where it's going. There's a lot of times where it might be intimidating to say, hey, I want us to talk. Can you go with me for coffee, and then we have to talk? 
A lot of people these days are doing a thing that they would call finding an errand buddy. And it's, this is the kind of person who does the stuff with you you don't take selfies of. So, you know, you vacation with people and you take your fancy selfies and say what a great time you had. This is the person who would go with you to HEB or to Target and you just say, hey, I got to make a Lowe's run. You need anything from Lowe's? You want to just shoot the breeze a little bit as we go? It's a lot less intimidating, isn't it? Find yourself an errand buddy who fits one of these categories and say, hey, can we just hang out a little bit? Can we just visit a little bit? It'd be good for me to talk to you and spend a little more time with you. In your life, you need to be answering that question. What relationships am I going to build? Because which relationships you choose to build are going to have such a profound impact on your trajectory and where you go from here as a person. So uh, today, whether you're a person who's struggling with loneliness, again, I would highlight uh, this opportunity that we have uh, Wednesday night. Really appreciate uh, Kevin uh, taking the initiative in this and putting this uh, program together for Wednesday. But uh, if you're a person who has some needs of prayer or encouragement, and I am always really happy for you to call me and say, Mark, I need to come talk. We're happy to do that. But um, if you've never become a Christian, you'd like to learn more about that. If there's some way that we could help you today, However it is you need to respond, this is a time where you can do that. We would invite you to come forward as together we stand and sing.